thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hi there, wonderful ladies. This is Wellness Women Radio and you're here with Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we come to you this week with a fantastic topic. Uh, it's quite a heavy topic. <laughs> I threw that in there for Andrea's benefit. She loves a good pun. No, we're talking, in all seriousness, we're talking about heavy metals and um, uh, metal toxicity. And I think it's really important to have a chat about this because, oh, well, look, we know a lot of our patients are doing some wonderful things with their health. You know, they're doing things like following all the right dietary guidelines. They're focusing on some of the things in their lifestyle, improving exercise, movement, mindset, meditation, like all of the components we recommend. Um, however, there is every now and then that person that's still feeling poorly or still having issues, feeling just generally sickly. And um, we've got to ask questions like, okay, well, if, if you're doing everything right, as far as we know, what are some of the other reasons that could be that uh, health is still a problem or achieving great health is still a problem for that person? And uh, toxic metals is certainly one of those things. Definitely. Um, and it can be such like a frustrating thing, particularly, like you said, Ashley, if a woman is doing everything, you know, quote unquote right, but their health is still suffering, then there's obviously got to be something that's happening deeper on, you know, maybe that that biochemical or that physiological level that's impairing certain functions. And that is what heavy metal toxicity has the capacity to do. And that's what we're going to go a bit deeper in today. Yeah. And there's certainly a couple that are more uh, concerning than others because of the likeliness of what we are to come into contact with them. For the purpose of this episode, we're primarily going to talk about some of the metals such as mercury, aluminium, lead, um, arsenic and cadmium. And these are often things that are found in everyday products still to this day and age. And you say, well, hang on, isn't that a bit historic? Like surely they're, they're not doing that anymore. But the reality is that it, they are. They're still in regular beauty products, um, you know, cleaning products. It's coming in the air, in the water, in the soil. So let's talk about some of those things like, you know, where they are and why it's such a challenge for our health. I mean, just for putting it in perspective, um, mercury, for example, is really toxic. You don't need to uh, have too much of it. And in perspective of how much is toxic to the human body, it's basically the same concentration of one grain of salt in the size of a swimming pool, a large swimming pool. So it's yeah, yeah. incredibly potent. It's one billion part quantities. You know, this is when we talked in, in billionths and that's um, that's how serious it is for human health. And that's interesting because they say that there is no level at which mercury is safe in the body at all. And that goes the same with lead as well. Um, yeah. You know, looking at studies on children and effective lead, and they just said there is no safe level of lead in children's um, health and well-being. And yet we had for a long time there all these uh, toys that children would play with covered in paints that were lead-based. And that was um, why there's a generation there that have some concerns with the elimination of heavy metals because they were exposed mm -hmm. so frequently to them um, through day-to-day -day contact with, uh, in this case, toys. And I think this field will certainly continue to evolve because, Ash, like you said, initially lead-based paints were considered safe. They were on everything. But now we know that this is definitely not the case and now we actually screen for this. We make sure that, you know, everything lead-based free and all that sort of stuff. And lead based, lead poisoning is a serious quantifiable disease that can be fatal. Um, and that's just one example of this. So 
I know it's it's very easy to get overwhelmed with all the things you have to do to ensure a healthy body. <laughs> um, and we promise this won't be a chemistry lesson today because, my God, that was the last thing we want. <laughs> um, but we do just want you to have a basic understanding of where these pollutants can be coming from and also how you can protect yourself from that. And do you need to take a further step? Yeah, because it's gotten to the point where babies are being born uh, toxic due to the toxic load of their mums. So, um, and I refer to a study by the Environmental Working Group. This is the app that we often have talked about. If you want to know what's in your products, um, the EWG app online is a fantastic one to look it up. But the Environmental Working Group found that um, blood samples from newborns uh, contained an average of 287 toxins that included mercury, fire retardants, pesticides, and chemicals from nonstick cookware. So, you know, mm. and that's an average cohort of people so that's um showing us that environmentally it's all around us uh the thing is you know our amazing body has filtration systems and elimination systems to allow us to remove many different toxins that our body comes in contact with Mm. okay Mm. so we're primarily looking at through the blood system you're looking at um the obviously the liver uh through liver removal but also things like renal as well the kidneys can remove a lot but look when it comes down to heavy metals they're really good at permeating into tissues such as bone and soft tissues so it's not always as easy as your body is just you know going through the blood and out through via the liver um, because there's a long list of disease including alzheimer's parkinson's and other brain and neurological conditions and disorders that are being connected to toxicity from levels and high levels of metals in the body so um, even low level chronic exposure is a problem yeah and ash um a body will effectively remove as much as it can if it has those excellent functioning detoxification pathways, um, which, you know, for a whole bunch of different reasons, not everybody has. And it does, the body will store these things safely, often in, you know, that soft tissue or what we're, we're talking about is, is in our fat because the body has this nice little way of packeting it away from the bloodstream, putting it in the fat where it's relatively safe in the in the sense that it's away from the bloodstream, not necessarily safe that it's in our body in the first place, but in the in how the body's in its infinite wisdom, the packeting it in there is a little bit more protective than for some people who can't actually detoxify it. Um, that's where it's going to depo- um, deposit it, which also means that when people are going through massive fat, uh, like peripheral body fat reduction, releasing some of these toxins can be a bit of an issue and can also inhibit some of that fat loss too. Yeah. And look, would you be interested if I told you a little bit about the uh, history of how all this stuff got into our lifestyles? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I'm one of those people, I love history and I, I know that I've traveled so much around the globe and I've always been fascinated because a lot of this comes up in your travels when you're in certain countries and places. You go, wow, did that happen? And did they do that? That's incredible. And I have a real love for uh, ancient history and ancient Rome. So, of course, the uh, women of the times were just as we are today, aesthetic. They needed to look amazing and they wanted to look beautiful. And uh, makeup was being used as far back as the ancient Egyptians. And, you know, some of these cosmetics that the ancient Egyptians were wearing, such as Icol, um, they made paste out of soot and fat, and the metals that were in there to give it the black were lead, antimony, manganese, and or copper. So they were pasting this directly onto the mucous membranes of the eye. So no reason to uh, wonder why 
people went a bit mad in those times because <laughs> yeah. they were pasting lead directly onto their, their body and into the mucous membranes of the eyes, um, men and women too. So, you know, the more upper echelon you were, the more wealthy you were, um, the more access you had to the beautiful uh, accessories of life. And that also meant that the the people who were well-educated and well-born actually had a more tendency to, to go mad and crazy because they were getting exposed through their cosmetics, um, you know, the beautiful green the eye makeup they wore well that was malachite a form of copper um so yeah, yeah this, this has been there forever and ever it's fascinating i mean even Just as far back beauty, as right yeah hell <laughs> and back in the 17th century it's, it was still it means we've got it in our cosmetics today there's still tests and studies showing that there's lead in lipstick mercury and mascara like this is crazy but it's still there and in the 17th century there was you know even an irish this is the first documented death um in modern times of death by cosmetics, which was a countess in Ireland. And she died because she would use every day a white paste, which was a form of um, white lead or cerusa, which was something that the ancient Romans used to lighten their face. And then they topped that off with a bit of um, red, which was a form of uh, basically rust <laughs> on their cheeks to give them a healthy rose glow over this white paste. And um, it was just unbelievably toxic. And so she died from cosmetic use. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So ladies, and don't be guilty had, um, of uh, choosing the wrong products because we've been doing it forever and ever, I mean, thousands of years. But now's the time to get smart and start to realise it's not good. Just because it's been done for thousands of years, it's time yeah. to change. I wonder if they had any kind of understanding of um, the detrimental health effects of that. Probably not. Um, but now when we know better, we must do better as well. Um, and then there's the history of the Mad Hatters who yeah. were making all the, the really big elaborate felt hats and it was the lead that they were using to stiffen it. Oh, I can't remember if it was a lead or formaldehyde or something like that, but whatever it was, that is why they were called Mad Hatters because over time the chemicals they were using were making them completely crazy. Yeah, look, so there's so many examples of this. They even think the fall of ancient Rome was because of the lead pipes and lead goblets that the wealthy were using. So, um, wow, you know, and if the wealthiest people are uh, losing IQ and unable to run countries and, and in this case empires, then, of course, eventually that will lead to the downfall. So this is something that does affect the brain. It does affect intelligence um, and it does affect health. So let's talk about some of the ways in which you might come into contact because if you know mm. where these common things are, you have a really good chance of starting to uh, reduce your exposure to them. And that's part one of getting healthy again. We'll talk in a minute a little bit more about look, how do you find out if you're toxic for any metals, but uh, mm -hmm. let's just find out where they are. So Andrea, have a, let's have a chat. Where, where do we find these most common uh, forms of metals and heavy metals? Well, I think that starting in the kitchen is probably a good place. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, like you said, that nonstick kitchenware, is so so toxic and we did a an entire three-part series on this so please go back and listen to um the first few episodes that we ever recorded um i don't know how the quality of those would compare to now but uh, <laughs> anyway go back and listen to those because the information is still absolutely the same um there's all sorts of different things like stainless steel may be exposing you to nickel which is a non-carcinogen um and the non-stick ones we all know that they are huge offenders um and Aluminium is a big part of that too. So using things like uh, cast iron or titanium or like enamel or glass cookware is much preferred. Um, I am going through the process of as 
one thing dies, I'm replacing it with cast iron. It's not nearly as hard as what I thought it would be to cook and clean with. It's it's much easier. Um, so I'm sort of going through that process at the moment. Um, so rather than throwing everything out, just as you start seeing things either peel off the the inner lining of your your cookware, which is you know that nonstick coating that's actually coming off. You absolutely do not want to be consuming any of that. If you to see any of it lifting up, you've got to throw it away straight away, um, and then just start to change it out as you go. That's a really great place to start because if you start where you're preparing food and ingesting, then that's one step. Then you've got to look into things. So let's just say we start in the kitchen. Um, for example, aluminium. You've got so many things like aluminium cans, yeah? Yeah. Now, those uh, cans are storing your foods. They can be stored in cans for so long. And we know that if it's not the aluminium leaching into foods because the can is lined with something called BPA um, or BPS, and these are also, they're not heavy metals, but they're also so uh, hormone-disrupting chemicals and compounds. So either way, not too great. Um, do I still have some canned foods? Yes, I do. Um, am I trying to eliminate it? Yes, I am. I think it's really just important to do things progressively over time. If you're a person that wants all or nothing, then sure, just go in there and just <laughs> empty it all out and start mm-hmm. again. Um, because most things that come in cans, you could actually create yourself. Let's just say, for example, uh, tin tomatoes. You know, it just takes a day where you have to have a big cook up and store your tomato sauces well in glass jars. Yeah, um, or make some really beautiful Italian friends um, or patients that bring yeah. them to you when they when they make it. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> that's very fortunate if you've got those friends around you. Um, yeah. And, you know, things like uh, I know a go-to that I always used to find really easy was actually my go-to lentils because I could just literally, you know, flip two cans in a pan and stir it up with veggies and I've kind of had a meal straight away. Um, but it's just as easy as being prepared and soaking it the night before and then getting ready to cook with them the next day. So um, just preparation is the key if you're wanting to avoid toxins, you've got to know where they are and then plan ahead. So you've got things prepared in advance um, because usually it's our quick meals and our on-the-run stuff that exposes to most of these toxins. Um, You're also going to find things like aluminium deodorants. Your regular commercial deodorants have something called aluminium chloride in them. Um, This is a problem because we're putting these aluminium sources directly on the skin at an area where you're normally eliminating toxins. Yeah, that's what perspiration is. It's your body's Mm -hmm. way of eliminating toxins And what do we do? We go and put toxins directly in the area the body's trying to remove them from, um, causing congestion. And it's such a problem in that area as well because there's such sensitive lymphatic and breast tissue there and the Mm -hmm. lymphatic system runs through the whole body. So um, there's so many fantastic aluminium-free deodorant products that you can use. you just got to look for them um, and they're not expensive either. And you can even make your own if you wish. You can. You just need some bicarb soda, some essential oils um, and some coconut oil and you can have an incredibly great DIY uh, home deodorant. So, yeah. Yeah, that's super simple. Um, Now, while we're talking about the kitchen, we're talking about things in cans and then things that often come in cans is fish. Um, Mm. Now, I know there's been a lot of, I wouldn't say controversy, but a lot of talk about the mercury levels in fish. And this is for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, And it's just because of those environmental pollutants that then, you know, the large predator fish are much more exposed to because they're eating the smaller fish and blah, blah, blah. Um, So what they're telling us is that consuming smaller wild caught fish is much better for your health than, say, some of the bigger ones like your tuna um, or depending on, um, you know, what regions you're in, salmon and those sorts of things. Um, I know for me, when I first 
first went vegetarian, I was sort of pescatarian, I guess you could say, because I was still having fish. So my staple was canned tuna every single day. So I am fairly certain that my mercury levels are going to be through the roof, plus a whole bunch of other things because the amount of canned fish that I ate. I since learned better, but (laughs) I think that would be a very interesting test to kind of uh, quantify some of that. Yeah, and that's the most naturally occurring common form of mercury, which is the methylmercury, and that's the bioaccumulative form of mercury that you'll find that are mostly in the top feeders. So you have the filter feeders, which have uh, high levels of these, but then whatever's higher up the food chain, the large fish and the predatory birds even, um, that's when you start to see high levels of mercury again. And this is also why you can see this in children too, because when they were testing, when there was big mercury exposure areas, testing that generation of people, they didn't find anything too serious, but then testing the generations after that because of that accumulation, that's when they found those levels of really severe toxicity. Right. Okay. So what about our cosmetic and our personal care products? We've looked at deodorants. Um, oh, but... yeah, that was a bit of a buy. Well, we're talking about aluminium, but uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's so much in, in terms of cosmetics. It's pretty much in every cosmetics, including foundations. Um, you've got, you know, in the eye makeup, lipsticks, there are micro elements in all of these because for a lot of the times the colorants that are used in these cosmetics hey tiaki good morning um uh the the cosmetics the colorants are coming from nature so they're using natural sources of metals and minerals um and some of those are are toxic yeah and it doesn't sound like we've changed all that much in the last thousand years as to that that uh death by beauty or that that exposure and again, there are so many products that are heavy metal and toxic free. Again, you just have to go looking for it um, and you have to play around with brands and quality and all of that sort of thing. But it is so worth reading the labels on all of these things um, because it can be pretty scary. Yeah, there's things uh, that um, like your mineral powders, for example, nearly always contain something called bismuth. Um, so, you know, again, these are shown to increase our risks by it up to 300 percent um and that's just one condition that we've singled out the reason we're not going through today and giving you a the because we usually do low down don't we andy we talk about you know what to look for what to expect you know what could be the problems but it is so diverse and so varied that it's really not helpful for us to suddenly rattle off all of these things that could indicate heavy metal toxicity because it's pretty much every health condition we've ever discovered Um, there's crossovers of symptoms that could point to any number of different things and this is called differential diagnosis when you've got a myriad of different symptoms you need to try and differentiate what the underlying cause is well for this particular concern of heavy metals the really only way to do um, anything about that is to test for it so we'll talk in a second about the testing but let's keep talking about where else you might find some of these issues i mean dental amalgam fillings are one of the big ones probably more so for the generation after us where you know it's early 30s but i know that my mom's generation has certainly had big issues with dental, dental amalgam fillings um yeah. some dentists as early as the 2000s are still using the amalgams with the heavy metals in them particularly um you're looking at mercury in those and then the concerns are that if you go to choose to go and remove dental amalgam fillings then you're looking at the possible release of the mercury as a gas and vapor by the process of removing them, um, thereby causing secondary poisoning. So it's very concerning to think that there's people still with a mouthful of different amalgam feelings and they're getting all these tests and going through, you know, extensive lifestyle overhaul, um, but the underlying cause is still right there um, stuck in their teeth. 
Yes, definitely. Um, my mum has recently had her amalgam fillings removed uh, and she did have to go to a special dentist who specialises in this. Um, there's a certain preparation process that she had to do leading up to the removal, during um, the removal of them as well. It was incredible how much um, coverage that they gave her. There was absolutely no ex- like skin exposure or way that she w- was able to inhale anything that was coming out. Mm. Um, so it was a very like delicate process and it's so interesting that to take them out um, these dentists are being so careful um, and treating it as you know a very toxic substance whereas there are still dentists who are using amalgam fillings and that was one of the reasons why I changed dentists recently because I sort of asked what his stance was on it he's like oh they're great you know they make really good solid fillings that will last a lifetime love using them do it all the time and I'm like I am out of here yeah Um, (laughs) yeah and look with Um, respect that means that person is not up with science they're not keeping up with what's going on there is too much um evidence to support the concerns about this so the fact that it's still being used is actually you know (laughs) terrible to think so if you do see a dentist and they're they're still you know pretty much pro amalgam you need to ask the right questions of that dentist ask them why what's in it um if they can't answer you because it's just something they've always done and that's just what they do then the problem there is that they're not up with the latest science so please have a chat and have a think about whether or not you want that to be you know included in your teeth um because if you don't already have them then i would highly recommend you do not put any amalgam fillings into your teeth um, another substance is, and I'm sure this doesn't come as a surprise to anyone, but is cigarette smoke and the secondhand smoke too. So there's a whole bunch of toxins in there. In particular, it can cause cadmium poisoning as well. Um, so if you are a smoker, which I can't imagine that many of our listeners would be, this is just another reason why you'd want to quit and why you want to avoid secondhand smoke um, as well. Now, your household cleaning products can certainly have a whole bunch of different toxins in them. So make sure you're reading the labels. We've talked about this, um, you know, at nauseum. Interestingly enough, some herbal and supplemental um, like vitamins and minerals can have certain levels of arsenic, lead, mercury, um, and other things that are through either intentional or unintentional contamination. Um, so using when you're using any kind of supplements, you need to make sure they're from a very good quality source. You need to have a bit of an understanding of that processing that goes into it or hopefully they're prescribed to you by someone who has done that research. Mm. Um, so I know that's a bit of a bit of a list. Ash, is there anything else that you wanted to add on to that? Well, look, another one's really hard to uh, phase out, I think, but I think the, the more we become aware of it, the more we'll make choices on it. It sounds really funny, but if you've recently been building a home or you've oh, um, yes, got interior yeah. products, there's a lot of chemical nasties within those construction materials. Just, for example, treated wood. Um, a lot of wood is treated still with preservatives that contain arsenic. Now, what's fascinating about that is I'm, I'm love interior design so i'm constantly you know plowing through the latest what's going on um i have a beautiful magazine i subscribe to which is green magazine so if you'd love some uh the green earth element uh, i help i'd say healthy building healthy uh, interior lifestyle that's where you'd find some info on what's healthy but um predominantly the introduction of the use of ply and ply board as a, a finishing as a ceiling as a um and that you know that ply board is basically wood chips um, bonded together with glutes and preserved with um, what would likely contain arsenic. So even though it's Mm. very trendy, it's very on point, it's very fashionable this time, um, there's some serious health concerns I have regarding the high use of ply in modern construction. 
And you see it all the time yeah, in design mags. It's okay. so trendy. It's so cool. So um, not that I'm telling you if your home has got this, then it's terrible. But you've got to understand where the explosion is coming from. And if you have a choice and you're doing some new builds and you love the look of that design, just maybe have a, cons- a little thought, a little time out to think, well, hang on, what's what's in these products? What are they made from? What are, What's going to be leaching into my air environment onto the surfaces my children are going to touch? Um, you need to ask those questions. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to know what the like potential exposure and absorption from that sort of thing would be. Um, and look, we'll certainly give you a, a list of all this sort of stuff on our social media so that you don't have to remember this verbatim. So so don't worry about that. Now, I know we usually talk about if there's um, certain conditions that are presenting, we usually talk about signs and symptoms to look for when that is the case. And like Ash said, there's it can come in pretty much any form of dysfunctional symptom you can imagine. And it can be acute and chronic as well. And if someone has acute heavy metal poisoning, that's going to be a very different presentation to what, say, that chronic, slow, everyday exposure might be. Um, And, for example, like acute exposure might give you issues like uh, really severe headaches, sweating, cramping, nausea, vomiting, um, difficulty breathing, uh, that mania. So that, you know, that kind of mad hatter sort of uh, um, presentation that you can imagine, um, mm-hmm. definitely impaired cognition, um, possibly convulsions and a whole bunch of other things. So, you know, that is in very extreme circumstances with acute toxicity. Um, whereas with chronic exposure, it can mimic pretty much everything as well. So we won't go through that sort of stuff, but if this is something that you are concerned about, um, then let's talk about some ways that you can test for yourself. Um, And I would definitely recommend chatting to a a functional practitioner who is very well versed in testing for heavy metal poisoning as well, or heavy metal toxicity, we should say. Uh, You may have heard of hair mineral analysis, um, which is one way and a very popular way of testing for heavy metals. Now, I did like a fairly extensive um, you know, search through PubMed to try and find what the efficacy of the hair mineral analysis is to see, um, you know, how accurate the results are. And I couldn't find anything compelling, unfortunately. Um, Ash, I know that you um, as well are a bit concerned about the, the accuracy and the efficacy of, of hair mineral analysis. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I sort of got into this uh quite some time back because it was coming to me fairly frequently patients asking the questions about it and I just didn't know enough and that was a couple of years ago now. Um, Dave Asprey from Bulletproof Radio is still proponent of hair analysis and I'm struggling to find his his you know, resources being uh, the latest science. And so I was curious enough as well. I personally haven't recommended hair analysis for some time because I just couldn't find enough on it. But um, I know that a lot of people still uh, suggested that they do it. The questions that come about when you talk about hair mineral analysis and the general challenges and concerns with it are this. One, there's no standardization. So if there's no standards, then it depends on which labs you send to. You could be getting different results for the very same hair samples from the same person taken at the same time. And so you take your hair sample, send it off to three different labs, and you could come back with three different results. Now, that is not standardised. The second concern is what do the labs do with the hair once they receive it? Because some labs will wash the hair, effectively Mm -hmm. cleaning the hair to remove any residues, and then test the hair, and others don't do that. So if you've got um, your hair and shampoo and things that you've been dyeing your hair with, um, they could be leaving traces and residues on those hair samples, which could give you what we call a false positive, meaning that you get positive test analysis 
analysis for certain components. Um, in this case, we're looking for toxicity and heavy metals. And it could actually be surface-based or within the hair structure as opposed to evidence of it growing because of the toxicity within your body. Um, Mm, So this point in time, the best is still a form of uh, urine analysis, Mm -hmm. but it does require a couple of things to happen before you take that urine sample. And so generally um, you'll be given a form of chelation, yeah, in order yeah, which to, is yeah. challenge. So it's like yeah. a urine challenge test, essentially. Yeah. And so to um, do that, and here it is, because in order to do a, a urine challenge or an IV challenge test, they're going to be using something called EDTA. Um, and this is a component in cosmetics and and your skincare ranges that I actually encourage people to stay well away from um, because, yeah. again, it's, it's considered toxic. But in this case, they're using it as conjugate to um, bring the, the metals out of the system to be able to assess how much is there problem again is can you draw it all out of the tissues because some of these heavy metals are stored within the bone structure and the soft tissues um do you want to be pulling it out of the soft tissues only to not be treating it but you're only pulling it out to test it so you're putting it out into the bloodstream you're not obviously going to remove it from the bloodstream so then it's going to get back into the tissues and you're going through that toxicity toxification all over again do you see the challenges there even for testing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, yeah. I think if you are or if you have had hair mineral analysis, it hopefully will give you some sort of baseline. Like are there any spikes in that test? Is it coming back showing very high levels of, say, mercury or aluminium or something like that that gives you something to work with? And then if you retest after a certain period of time and some changes – and it comes down and you use exactly the same testing procedure, testing labs and those sorts of things, then whether or not the test is standardized, it can give you some sort of your own reference. Um, yeah, chelation therapy is is an interesting one. Um, I, I don't know if I'm a massive fan of it for people just doing it willy-nilly. I think that you really need to be working with someone who knows exactly what they're doing, is really well experienced with it, and knows how to administer it correctly as well. Um, well, even because- even still there's recorded deaths from chelation therapy because you pull out all those heavy metals into the bloodstream, the system, without removing them effectively, and you can overload the system and poison the body. So um, this is where expert guidance is required. We're not talking about everyday GPs, not talking about us we're certainly not experts in this area we're talking about really expert guidance people who are specialized in this particular field um, because it's very very particular in the way in which you want to remove toxins from the body i mean for some people though it can be as simple as removing them using a a daily methyl donor supplement Um, Mm. but the medical chelation options are really specific and you do need to talk to the right people about that but today we just want to give you an overview to help you understand that there are possible treatments out there if you do have tests that reveal high levels of heavy metals all is not lost it's important that you can get help um really interesting one that they're not testing for in a lot of these heavy metal tests and i was curious when i looked into it was copper now whilst Mm -hmm. copper is considered a heavy metal it's not tested for and yet we know it's responsible for infertility Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hence why we have a copper IUD, yes. Uh, yes, yeah. so isn't that interesting? So, um, you know, like the, why we, I'm still, it's fascinating for me that we still use a copper IUD as one of the more effective methods of contraception. However, we also know that copper is heavy metal and causes serious health concerns in the human body. So, um, yeah. 
Which yeah. is why if you do have a copyright idea, it's a very effective form of contraception. It's non-hormonal, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a preference over some things, but there's a timing to it and you need to have excellent detoxification pathways, um, which is also why, you know, with chelation therapy, you need to be working with someone who knows exactly what they're doing. You need to have a great detox capacity um, because if it's impaired, essentially you're just making a bad situation worse. Yeah, definitely. So when you're trying to find out for things like this, this is why using multiple testing. So you might be using um, urine testing, blood, well, red blood cells, assessments, plasma levels, mm. just to try and coordinate and have a look at uh, multiple different forms of where these toxins are stored. So you can see them in different tissue levels, different elimination pathways to try and assess more accurately of whether or not there's an issue there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you think that you have had a certain amount of exposure to this, there's certainly lots of things that you can do at home to make sure that you're really upping your detox capacity as well. Um, Making sure that, you know, you've got an excellent diet, you're consuming plenty of green leafy veggies um, and those sorts of things, which is going to aid with that phase two of liver detoxification naturally and really gently anyway. Um, There's lots of really great natural um I guess, I guess like pseudo um, chelators, which are found in things like um, uh, like corella and algaes and those sorts of things, which can sort of act like that, but are very, very gentle as well. Um, so those um, sort of things are a really good, nice, gentle place to start, but definitely do any of this under guidance. Yep. And look, the toxic overload is most acute in the young and the old. Okay. So when we're looking at this, it's also really important if you've got children or you plan to have children, you know, maybe you're looking at preconceptive health, very important time in your life to be looking at this because unfortunately bioaccumulation in in infants is a serious issue. And um, I mean, some people say, yeah, but should I be concerned? It surely can't be that bad. Well, yeah, it can be. It can cause birth defects. It can cause cognitive impairment. It can cause IQ problems. It can cause brain development issues. Um, Yeah, really important stuff. And this is why (laughs) in the aging process, the degenerative brain conditions are connected to heavy metal toxicity as well, because the damaging effect of them is actually deteriorating the brain tissue. Hence the reason, you know, in terms of historically speaking, you had the Mad Hatter or, you know, people went crazy quite young in their life. Well, they didn't have a very long life expectancy, but now we're living longer than we ever have. So we're starting to see more of these cognitive impairments because we're having more time in our life to accumulate these concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So ladies, it's definitely not all doom and gloom. So don't worry about that. If you want more information about that, or if you want to try and find a really great practitioner um, to work with near you, please feel free to contact us. So find us on Facebook forward slash facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or on Instagram as well, underscore the wellness women. Um, shoot us through a message on our website, which is the wellnesswomen.com.au. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear also if you've had any experience with chelation therapy or if you've, um, you know, had any of your mercury um, or amalgam fillings removed, we would love to know what your experience with that has been. And that's definitely going to help some of our other listeners as well. So please post all of those comments online. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast on iTunes. So hit subscribe so that you get us every Tuesday um, because, you know, who doesn't want a dose of the wellness women um, every Tuesday morning? <laughs> um, and ladies, leave us a five-star rating if you feel we deserve it. We love that. But until next week be well this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives
Boston Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.